Now throw your ears in the air and listen like you just don't care. And if you like two weird chicks who have big dicks, everybody out there say, Twat you say? Twat you say? A podcast with Jen and Amber, two two girls girls who don't know what the fuck they're doing. Hello, puppets. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Okay, we're keeping this in. So, hello everybody. It's Jen. And Amber. <laughs> Today's episode is called Hashtag Killing It. Uh, much like I am right now. <laughs> yes, you are hashtag killing it. <laughs> Anyways, today's episode is still part of our spooky October theme and it's about serial killers. Ooh. I don't know why that's like. We trying to do ghosty sounds know. for serial killers. Well, mine actually, the one that I ended up picking, there's a lot of talk that the place that she did her thing is haunted. So, Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Interesting. So, fun fact, me and Amber are both murderinos. Fuck. Hashtag murderinos for life. We stay sexy, don't get murdered on the daily. <laughs> Hashtag we stay out of the forest. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, um, one of our favorite podcasts is My Favorite Murder. Yes. Karen and Georgia and Steven! <laughs> and they are a comedy podcast that talks about murderers and serial killers and all the gruesome stuff. Um, and they're awesome. Yeah, they're my favorite. I think, I, I think, did I, I started listening to him first, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is the one thing that she actually, when I suggested that she listen to it, that she fucking did. Finally. Well, I never had time to listen to podcasts <laughs> on my old jobs, and now I can listen to them. Yeah, but the joke of being here, if I have to not tell her to listen to and or watch right. and or read and or anything. Yeah. So, fun fact about me. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio. I don't like to be told what to do. So if you tell me I have to do something, my brain will automatically want to do the opposite. Even so she would be like, dude, you have to see this movie trailer. And I was like, not going to see it now. And she's like, no, come on. Seriously. And I'm like, not happening. Yeah. So Amber's <laughs> a lot better now about wording things in a way that I'm tell not me telling I have to, her. And I ain't gonna. <laughs> I make a suggestion of something I think she will highly enjoy and I let the universe do its thing. And this time she actually listened. Well, yeah, I mean, because we've both talked about, like, being into true crime and and that kind of stuff, and it's just, like, it's intriguing in a way to kind of get into the minds of these people. So, it's not like I was ever opposed to listening to it, it's just I literally didn't have the time. So, I got into it more recently than her, but yeah. Yeah. I love them. It it was funny, because the first time that I actually, like, heard a full episode of theirs, because I fell into, like, listening to them listening to Anna Ferris Unqualified, because mm-hmm. they were guests, like, guests on it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I was like, let me check out their actual podcast. And then I listened to it, and I was like, dude, this sounds like me and Jen. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I fell in love with them. <laughs> 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 Awkward pause. <laughs> and finger guns. You know it. Anyways. Um, so this episode is kind of inspired by them, um, in a way. Like our homage. Yes, our, our homage. I'll just repeat you. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of the other word I wanted to say. <laughs> Tri- tribute, which I think I already did. So, anyways. <laughs> it's okay. Anything else we want to talk about in this section or just get into it? I mean, let's just dive right in. Yeah. All right, so my, I'm going to go first, and my story is called The Death House Landlady. Um, This is a story of a female serial killer who is believed to have murdered between 9 and 15 people in the 1980s, so not even that long ago, Um, and the newspapers were the ones that had dubbed her the Death House Landlady, so this is her story. Dorothea Helen Puente, as she was later known, was born Dorothea Helen Gray on January 9th, 1929 in Redlands, California, uh, to Trudy Mae and Jesse Gray, who were her parents. Um, So her father died of tuberculosis in 1937 when she was eight years old, and then her mom died in a car accident the following year where she was then sent to an orphanage. So she had 
not the best childhood. Um, in 1945, she was married for the first time at the age of 16 to a soldier named Fred McFowl, who had just returned from the Pacific Theater of World War II. She had two daughters between 1946 and 1948. She sent one to live with relatives in Sacramento, and the other one she gave up for adoption. Sacktown. Right? <laughs> um, she became pregnant again in 1948, but suffered a miscarriage, and then later that year, her husband divorced her. In her early 20s, Dorothea was sentenced to a year in jail for forging checks. She was paroled after six months, soon after she was impregnated by a man she had just met. And yeah. she gave that uh, daughter up for adoption, too. Oh. Um, in 1952, she was 23, and she married a Swedish man named Axel Johansson. They were married for 14 years, and it was apparently tumultuous. <laughs> Um, in, I've been in one of those relationships. <laughs> haven't we all? <laughs> hashtag life lessons. Ooh, hashtag ooh. <laughs> um, in the 1960s, she was arrested for owning and managing a brothel. Um, she was sentenced to 90 days in jail in the Sacramento County. 90 days for a brothel. That seems a little underwhelming. <laughs> that seems a little excessive. I mean, shit, what? just sex. No, I know, a but I mean... it's sex. It's like the sex trade. Yeah. That's not necessarily a good thing. No, I'm not saying that it's a good thing. I'm just saying that it's not one of those things that you get a lot of time for. I'm just saying 90 90 days seems like... I mean... But anyways. (laughs) After her release, she was arrested again. This time for vagrancy and sentenced to another 90 days. Um, And then following that, she kind of just got into... Sorry. (laughs) Hiccups. She got into kind of a, um, like a crime spree, and, and they just kept getting worse. Um, she then found work as a nurse's aide, caring for disabled and elderly people in private homes. And in a short time from there, she started managing boarding houses. Um, so she ended up divorcing Axel Johansson in 1966, and right after married Roberto Puente, uh, a man who was 19 years her junior. In Mexico City they were only married for two years and then um, shortly after they got divorced she took over the three-story 16 bedroom home at 2100 F Street in Sacramento and then later she also took over 1426 F Street which is the main house that the stuff happened in okay. um, so okay she got married for the fourth time in 1976 when she was 47 this she's how she get all these men and we and we still single. <laughs> yeah, that's what the story is is telling me. You know, I mean, technically, what? I'm not technically single. Oh lord. <laughs> Anyways, that's an Easter egg for another story. <laughs> um, okay, so she got married for the fourth time to Pedro Montalvo. He was a violent drunk. The marriage only lasted a few months. Um, after which, Dorothea started to spend time in local bars looking for older men who were receiving social security benefits. Um, she would forge their signatures to steal their money. She was caught and charged with 34 counts of treasury fraud for which she received probation. Mm. That seems, again, underwhelming. The murders began shortly after Dorothea began renting out space in the home at 1426 F Street. In April uh, 1982, a 61-year-old friend and business partner, Ruth Monroe, began living with her um, in the upstairs apartment, but was soon found dead due to an overdose of codeine and acetaminophen. Um, Dorothea told the police that the wife had been, or that her friend had been very depressed because her husband was terminally ill Mm. and they believed her and ruled the incident a suicide amateurs (laughs) i mean did they not see her rap sheet a mile long with all these underwhelming (laughs) (laughs) consequences (laughs) she had no real consequences ever well like barely 90 fucking days and another 90 days (laughs) anyways okay a few weeks later, the police were back um, after 74-year-old prisoner, not prisoner, <laughs> pensioner, 
different. <laughs> totally the same thing. Tomato, uh, tomato. <laughs> so after 74-year-old pensioner named Malcolm McKenzie accused her of drugging and stealing from him, she was convicted of three charges of theft on August 18th, 1982, and was sentenced to five years in jail. Finally. I'm just kidding. Finally. <laughs> and yet... <laughs> when she was in jail, she began corresponding with a 77-year-old retiree living in Oregon named Everson Gilmouth. Um, what a, pen- a name. <laughs> right. And again, another guy just <laughs> lining up for her. Yep. <laughs> uh, they became pen pals that developed, and then when she was released from prison in 1985, after serving just three years of her sentence... He was waiting for her in a red 1980 Ford pickup, and they drove to California. He left Oregon, obviously, um, to go live with her. They opened a joint bank account, and that's when they um, moved back into 1426 F Street in Sacramento. Oh, this bitch sound like she Ursula. Like, <laughs> she stole Ariel's voice, sang it to them, and now they're like, ooh. Right? Like, she got to do some kind of voodoo. Okay, so... In November 1985, Dorothea hired handyman Ismael Flores to install some flooring panels in her apartment. For his labor and an additional $800, she would give him a 1980 Ford Red, a red Ford pickup in good condition, uh, which she stated belonged to her boyfriend in Los Angeles who no longer needed it. She asked Flores to build a box six feet by three feet by two feet to store, quote, books and other things. She then... <laughs> Such a fucking specific... It's for books, books. And other things. Yeah, that doesn't sound like the measurements of a man. <laughs> so, she then asked Flores to transport the filled and nailed shut box to a storage depot. Flores agreed, and Dorothea joined him. On the way, however, she had him stop while they were on Golden Highway in Sutter County and dump the box on the riverbank in an unofficial housing dumping site. Dorothea told him that the contents of the box were just junk. Fuck those books. They're just junk. You know, I decided I don't need those books after all. I read all of them anyways. It's fine. On January 1st, 1986, a fisherman spotted the box sitting about three feet from the bank of the river and informed police. Investigators found a badly decomposed and unidentifiable body of an elderly man inside. Dorothea continued to collect Everson Gilmouth's pension and wrote letters to his family explaining that the reason he had not contacted them was because he was ill. She maintained a room and board business, taking in 40 tenants. Gilmouth's body remained unidentified for three years. Okay, so then Dorothea continued to accept elderly uh, tenants in her two boarding houses. Um, She was popular with the local social workers because she accepted tough cases, including drug addicts and abusive tenants. She collected tenants' monthly mail before they got it um, and would pay them stipends, keeping the rest for, quote, expenses. Mm -hmm. (laughs) During this period, she was still on parole, and Dorothea had been ordered to stay away from the elderly and refrain from handling government checks. Parole agents went and visited a minimum of 15 times at the residence and no violations were ever noted. Suspicion was first aroused when neighbors noticed the odd activities of a homeless alcoholic known only as Chief, whom Dorothea stated that she had adopted and made her personal handyman. (laughs) Dorothea had Chief dig in the basement and cart soil and rubbish away in a wheelbarrow. At the time, the basement floor was covered with a concrete slab. Chief later took down a garage in the backyard um, and installed a fresh concrete slab there as well. Soon afterward, Chief disappeared. Uh. (laughs) One of the tenants of the boarding house was Alberto Montoya, a developmentally disabled man with schizophrenia. His social worker had set him up to live in the house and he had been there about six months when she stopped hearing from him. Um, And so she would keep calling Dorothea asking like, where is he? I need to talk to him. And Dorothea would be like, oh, he'll be back in a few days. He was visiting relatives or she just had excuses, right? She'll, he'll be back. Like, he'll call you. Yeah. Well, when weeks went by and she couldn't get a hold of him, she called Dorothea and threatened to call the police. And then his social worker, like, the next day got a call from some guy who was like, I don't remember the names um, from what I was reading, but he was like, uh, this is Johnson. I mean, this is... 
Hector Montoya. I am Albert Montoya's uncle, and he's in Utah with me, and he's fine. And then, like, hangs up. But, like, totally said the wrong name at first. Like, his actual name. And then... Wow. <laughs> so, she calls Dorothea back. And Dorothea's like, yeah. Um, I, when I was at Mass on Sunday, um, one of his relatives came. And, and he packed a bag and he left with him. And she, and she just, like, didn't feel right about it. So, she filed a missing persons report um, with the police. Uh, Officer Ewing inquired about the disappearance of Alberto Montoya. They interviewed Dorothea at the house and interviewed some of the tenants there as well. Officer Ewing spoke with John Sharp, who confirmed that Mr. Montoya left with a relative when the officer was satisfied with that and started to leave. Um, John Sharp walked him out and handed him a note that said, you know, meet me at this location later. I need to talk to you. So they go to that meetup, and uh, John Sharp tells him that Dorothea had told all of the tenants to lie, and say that Alberto Montoya left with a relative. Oh, wow. Um, and then he said that there was other weird happenings at the house going on. He indicated that he heard something heavy being dragged down the stairs the night Ben Fink moved out, He, who was a previous tenant. Yeah. Um, he reported a foul smell coming from upstairs recently and mentioned that suspicious uh, holes were dug in the yard, and he believed that people were being buried in them. So on November 11th, 1988, police showed up at the house to re-interview Dorothea about the disappearance of Alberto Montoya. Police searched her house with the approval of Dorothea. Um, and then when they asked if they could dig in her yard, she asked why. And they said, you know, like we heard that there might be somebody buried in the yard. And she was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, sure, go ahead and dig in the yard. So she was being super cooperative with them. She even apparently handed them an extra shovel. Uh-huh. Um, and so they started digging and, uh, they uncovered the body of a woman, um, who was later identified as Leona Carpenter, 78. Um, but at that time, obviously they didn't know who she was and she wasn't Mr. Montoya. So she wasn't initially really a suspect and she had been so cooperative. So, um, apparently like while they were still digging after they found that first body, they were still digging um, and I guess they were getting close to a second body when, um, Dorothea was like, oh, Detective Cabrera, um, like, can you come over here? So he stopped digging yeah. and went over and she was like, um, am I being arrested? And he was like, well, not yet. Why do you ask? And she was like, oh, well, this is just like really stressing me out. Like, I just need to go get a cup of coffee uh-huh. And so she's not an initial suspect. Yeah. They're not arresting her. So he lets her go to the hotel down the street to get a cup of coffee. Yeah. Well, while she's getting coffee, <laughs> they discover another body. Um, where am I? <laughs> I lost my spot. Um Okay, so she went to the hotel. So they found another body, and then Detective Cabrera's commander was like, Where, where's Dorothea? Like, we needed yeah. to ask her about this body. And he's like, oh, well, she went to go get a cup of coffee. So the commanding officer went to the hotel. Yeah. Obviously, she was not there. Um, so the Shocker. <laughs> so the search for Dorothea begins. Um, so as they're looking for her, they continue to dig and discover more bodies. Seven bodies were ultimately found in the yard. The bodies were wrapped in cloth and plastic. Um, However, the last body that they found was in the front yard, and it was missing a head, the feet, and hands. So that there was no way way to identify that damn body. (laughs) Um, And there was, like, reports in the neighborhood that, like, as they were digging all these graves up, like, the stench of decomposition was, like, everywhere. Um... So, most of the bodies were too decomposed to fingerprint. They were able to fingerprint two of them. Um, And then all the victims, except for one of them, had no teeth. So, they couldn't use dental records. And she covered her bases. Her neighbor, like the next day after the police were digging, her neighbor um, called the police to come over because he was in his backyard. And there was like teeth scattered like thrown over the fence into his oh, backyard because oh she must have like kept them because she knew they were coming she must yeah. have like kept them somewhere 
like, I don't know, in a jar or something and just was like, <laughs> oh <laughs> the cops God. are coming. <laughs> let me get make it, teeth real quick. <laughs> let me make it rain teeth in the neighbor's yard. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. How fucking weird is that? Also, how fucking stupid is that? <laughs> okay. So, um, her victims did not have usually a lot of contact with their families or they didn't have any family at all because they were older. Um, so not a lot of people were actually looking for them. So they were, you know, the perfect victims. Yeah. Um, however, one call came into Detective Cabrera inquiring about a missing elderly man named uh, Everson Gilmouth. Oh. His family indicated that he had not been in contact with them since late 1985 after leaving to California to marry Dorothea Puente. Um, so it wasn't until her case was brought onto the news that yeah. they decided to call in and be like, hey, how's my dad? And yeah, obviously Detective Cabrera had no idea. Um, so after asking neighborhood counties if they had any similar deaths where they were like wrapped in cloth and plastic and basically dumped, yeah. um, the Sutter County Police Department reached out with further um, information and they were able to identify everson gilmouth's body and kind of connect it um so he was an added charge to her murder count Mm -hmm. um and then william clausen also contacted detective cabrera about ruth monroe his mother in 1982 she was the one that moved in with um Uh, her when her husband was terminally ill yeah um so her son had contacted and indicated that um you know, when he first dropped her off to live with Dorothea, he came back a few weeks later and he noticed that his mom had a drink in her hand and she never drank. And he mm-hmm. thought that was really weird. And so he was like, well, what are you drinking? And Ruth said that it was a drink that Dorothea would give her to calm down. And then he came and visited a couple weeks later and she was just in bed the whole time. Like she couldn't get out. She was like really sick. And he was like, you know, don't worry. You'll be okay. You'll make it through this. Like Dorothea's taking care of you. Yeah. And then the next morning he got a call from Dorothea that she was dead. Yeah. So they, with light of that information, they added her murder or her death Mm -hmm. as another murder. So she was at a total of nine murders at this point that she was being charged with. Um, so obviously we didn't know where Dorothea was. She had fled instead of getting coffee. Yeah. She went to Los Angeles. Um, and she... She doesn't have a very long route, does she? It's just up and down the Pacific. Yeah, she, just Coast. California. Just boop, 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 boop. Yep. <laughs> um, so she had fled to Los Angeles. She befriended an elderly man in, that she met in a bar. His name was Charles Wilkes. And he told police later that he thought it was weird, the conversation he had, because it kept revolving around his social security benefits. <laughs> and he not also... trying to hide the fact that she's trying to that she's a fucking gold digger. <laughs> not saying she a gold digger. <laughs> but he also, unfortunately for Dorothea, uh, recognized her from fucking news footage. And so he called the Los Angeles yeah. Police Department, Good. Told, her, told them where she was staying, uh, and they picked her up. So they transported her on a plane back to Sacramento County. And um, when she was on the plane, they were she was like being super open and talking. And they have like a video crew. Um, and she's saying, I didn't kill anyone. I told you that. The checks, I did. But I did not kill anyone. I used to be a good person at one time. <laughs> really though? With that background? Did you? Did you? <laughs> Maybe before your parents died. But then something happened. Um, so police discovered along their investigation that Dorothea had cashed over 60 Social Security checks from the deceased. Wow. Her pretrial be- began April 15th, 1990. It was moved to Monterey County because there was too much media in uh, Sacramento County. Mm-hmm. Um, the trial began in October 1992 and ended a year later. Her attorneys were Kevin Climo and Peter Vlauten III. Very fancy. fancy. <laughs> Literally notes after his name is fancy. fancy. <laughs> I put it in asterisk. Um, the prosecutor was John O'Mara. Um, he was the homicide supervisor in the Sacramento County District Attorney's Office. O'Mara called over 130 witnesses during the trial. 
He argued to the jury that she had used sleeping pills to put her tenants to sleep, then suffocated them and hired convicts to dig holes in the yard. Wow. She had a system. (laughs) Uh, Climo, her attorney, concluded his closing argument by showing a picture commonly used in psychology that can be viewed in different ways and saying, keeping... Saying, keep in mind, things are not always as they seem. The jury deliberated for 34 days, the longest deliberation in California history up until that point. Um, And they found Dorothea guilty of three of the murders. The jury was deadlocked 11 to 1 for conviction on all counts, but the lone holdout finally agreed to convicting for two first-degree murder counts, including special circumstances, and one second-degree murder count. So during the penalty phase of the prosecution, um, hold on, during the penalty phase of the prosecution was highlighted by her prior convictions in duck, I can't speak now. <laughs> you were doing so I know, well. damn it, I hit the wall. Anyways, okay, so Omara, the fucking prosecutor, yeah. was bringing up her past, basically her history yeah. like, She's a bad person. Yeah. Um, The defense called several witnesses that showed Dorothea had a generous and caring side to her. Witnesses included her long-lost daughter, who testified how Dorothea had helped them in their youth and guided them to successful careers. Mental health experts testified of Dorothea's abusive upbringing and how it motivated her to help the less fortunate. Um, At the same time, they agreed she had an evil side, brought out by stress um, of caring for her down and out tenants um during omara's closing arguments so he's prosecutor um he focused on puente's acts of murder he said does anyone become responsible for their conduct in this world these people were human beings they had no right they had a right to live they did not have a lot of possessions no houses no cars only their social security checks and their lives she took it all death is the only appropriate penalty Kevin Climo responded by evoking Dorothea the child and caregiver. Peter Vlauten III addressed the jurors in confidential tones, contrasting Omara's shouting, and said, We are here today to determine one thing. What is the value of Dorothea Puente's life? That is the question. Does she have to be killed? Vlauten spoke gently about Puente's childhood, touching on the traumatic aspects that shaped her life, and urged the jurors to see the world through her eyes. You have heard of the despair which was the foundation of her life, the anger, the resentment. If anyone in the jury room tells you that it was not that bad, ask them, would you want that to happen to yourself? Would you want that to happen to your children? I am led to believe if there is any reason for us to be living here on this earth, it is somehow enhance one another's humanity, to love, to touch each other with kindness, to know that you have made just one person breathe easier because you have lived. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that is why these people came to testify for Dorothea Puente. I think you can only truly understand why so many people testified and have asked you to spare Dorothea's life. Only if you have ever fallen down and stumbled on the road of life and had someone pick you up, give you comfort, give you love, show you the way. Then you will understand why these people believe Dorothea's life is worth saving. That is mitigating. That is a human quality that deserves to be preserved. It is a flame of humanity that has burned in that has burned inside Dorothea since she was young. This is the reason to give Dorothea Puente life without the possibility of parole. One of the jurors later said executing Puente would be like executing mine or your grandma. On December 11th, 1993, she was convicted of three of the nine murders and was sentenced to life without parole. She was incarcerated at Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla, California. And for the rest, I call it Chinchilla, Chinchilla, California. (laughs) For the rest of her life, she maintained her innocence, insisting that all of her tenants died of quote natural causes. Yeah, she naturally killed them. (laughs) She naturally caused the death. Uh, Dorothea Helen Puente died on March twenty seventh, two thousand eleven, in prison in Chinchilla. In Chinchilla. (laughs) My bad. Damn it! (laughs) In prison in Chowchilla. At the age of 82 from Natural Natural Causes. (laughs) And that is the story of the Death House landlady. What a bitch. Right? Crazy. And, like, you wouldn't expect it seeing pictures and videos of her. Like, she, 
outwardly looks just like a normal ass old lady. Like she looked older than she was. So she actually, when she was killing the people, most mm-hmm. of them, she was in her fifties. But she told people that she was in her 70s. And she looked in her 70s. <laughs> she lived hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know what's funny? So, like, even she though... She rode hard and put back wet. Okay? Ew! <laughs> <laughs> even though her murders were public record, most people didn't believe that female serial killers even existed um, until the 1990s. Which is so fucking ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh, I'm sorry. If... <laughs> If you've ever been around a woman, you know okay. that you can piss her off to a point. There's a snapping point, and There's... you don't want to fucking find it. <laughs> Seriously. Because we're better at it than you, which yeah. is why they don't think there was any serial killers. And what's stupider is even in 1998, mm-hmm. someone from the FBI was at a press conference and legit said on record, there, um, there are no female serial killers, period. Honestly, 1998. I'm going to go with this. Anything you can do, we can do better, okay? Yes. Yes. That's why you think there's none. Right, because we're so good at it, you don't think that there is a fucking female serial killer. Yeah. But we don't don't kill all of you. Do not mess with a girl. (laughs) Don't fuck with this. Don't fuck with this. Because we hashtag killing it. Hashtag killing it. I think that Jen wanted me to do that with her. My brain, a little behind. (laughs) Um, So I guess that uh, will lead right into my serial killer. Um, It's funny because, you know, they don't believe that there were any female serial killers as recently as 1998. Well, mine is from the freaking 1800s, so. Boom, lawyered in your fucking face. <laughs> okay, <Mitchell. laughs> uh, so I chose um, probably a fairly well known one just because of, uh, you know, American Horror Story Coven. She kind of, I think, came a little more to light. I chose uh, Delphine. Whoa, my. Sorry, my <laughs> notes just turned into bubbles. <laughs> Uh, I chose Delphine Lori. I actually don't. No. Oh my Jesus. Jesus, Mother Mary and Joseph. You're you want to know a funny, out. you want to know a, f- You're a funny need, story? You no, will wait. cut this out. Or I you want to know a funny story about what? Jesus, Mary and Joseph? <laughs> okay, yes. so literally up until like Lovely. junior, literally until like junior year of high school, I thought it was... Jesus, Marion, Joseph. I th- <laughs> that was his full name. I thought it was his full name. <laughs> Marion sounds like a good middle name to me. <laughs> Why couldn't it be his middle name? No, it's absolutely his middle How name. dumb, right? That makes me so happy. Blonde roots, y'all. Blonde roots. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. I really do hope you can You can restart. Fuck. Okay. Where am I restarting from? Who you picked. Okay. That's all you got to. What else would you re-say? No. Anyways, so your person is? So I chose... (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) So I chose Delphine LaLaurie. Uh-huh. Not Delphine Laurie. (laughs) LaLaurie. Delphine LaLaurie. Um... She was basically (laughs) this monster of a woman who tortured and killed a bunch of her slaves. Um, But before she was that, she was born Marie Delphine McCarty. She's Irish. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She was born in 1780 in New Orleans. Um, Nolans. Nolans. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, I'm sorry. I said that so wrong. So did I. We <laughs> uh, both suck. <laughs> um, sorry for anyone who ever may listen to this from Nolans. Or New Orleans. Or New Orleans. Um, I said it the whitest ever. <laughs> um, so she was born on, 
but that's not right. She was born to a well-off white Creole family. Um, that sounds so weird. White Creole? <laughs> no, just the way that sentence was worded. <laughs> um, so her family had moved from Ireland and, to the, and then to the Spanish owned Louisiana a generation before her and she was only second generation to be born in America so um she was married three times and had five I'm telling you all these fucking crazy bitches have hella men hella men man I know it's hard out here for a PM (laughs) trying to pay the money and the rent I don't know the rest of the song Cadillac gas ones <laughs> a whole lot of bitches jumping ship. <laughs> oh, thank you. Anyway, <laughs> anyways, um, uh, so she was married three times. She had five children. Um, which she was, which it said that you know she was super loving on like with them and like you know not somebody that you would imagine would be just the, a monster. Yeah, of, of a, a fucking crazy of a human ass being. human. Um, so, uh, her first husband was a Spaniard named Don Ramon de Lopez y Angul- Angulo. Why are you I even trying to do accents? I, I almost had it. Whatever. He was that guy. Um, <laughs> he was a high-ranking Spanish officer. Uh, they had one child together, a daughter, um, before he ultimately died in Havana en route. Havana, oh na na. <laughs> yes. I had to. <laughs> you did. I handed that right to you. Um, so anyway, so he died. Um, and then four years after that, um, Delphine remarried a Frenchman named Jean Blanc. Uh, Blanc was a banker, lawyer, legislator. Le- nope, legislator. Words. We're killing these words tonight. We are killing it tonight. <laughs> um, Appropriate title, because... Obs. <laughs> also, I'm going to add a little hashtag irony. It's <laughs> probably not even what irony means. Never mind. Um, well, well, da, 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 da. Ah, crap. I lost my place. <laughs> so did I. We each, <laughs> we each get one. I, I think I'm going to need more than one. <laughs> Anyways, so um, he was a legislator also um, and was really affluent in the community and you know, it was big up. Yeah. Right? They had four children together, three daughters and one son. Uh, I'm going to assume he died. I did not put that in my notes. <laughs> but it's... Pretty, I mean, eventually he died, I'm sure. It's pretty safe to say that he died. At some point, he died. Um, and so anyways, after his, I'm assuming, inevitable death... <laughs> Um, she married for a third and final time to a much younger man, a doctor named Leonard Louis Nicolas Lalori. Uh, that's when she became Delphine Lalori. Um, it says that he was often not present in her day to day life, mostly letting her like you know do whatever she yeah. wanted. Right? Do your thing, boo. Yeah, just you do you. <laughs> Which is not something you should have told this woman. <laughs> um, so in 1831, uh, Madame Lalori purchased a three-story mansion at 1140 Royal Street in the French Quarter, um, which it's still there to this day. Yeah. Um, so is 1426 F Street in Sacramento, and they used to do house tours. They don't any longer. Nice. Um, <laughs> so... Like a lot of society women did at the time, she did have slaves. Um, it said that people were actually shocked by how polite she was to them, showing them kindness in public and even freeing two of them um, at one point. Yeah. However, there were rumors that the politeness exhibited in public was an act, which we will find out was absolutely an act. Um, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Though uh, New Orleans had, or New Orleans, now, however you want to say it. Um, though they had laws, unlike a lot of the other southern states, um, that were supposed to, like, quote-unquote, protect the slaves. Um, the conditions at the LaLaurie Mansion were, like, really bad. And yeah. people just kind of looked 
the other way. Okay, so there were rumors that she kept her 70-year-old cook chained to the stove. Jesus. And starved her. Um, and that she kept secret slaves for her husband, doc- her doctor, hus- not her husband, doctor, her doctor <laughs> husband, uh, to practice Haitian voodoo medicine on. Um, there were also rumors that she was really cruel to her daughters and would punish and whip them if they ever tried to, like, help the slaves in any way. Wow. Yeah. Um, so a, it was yeah. I know, she's a... She's cold-blooded. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was like, and there was actually like two in- instances that were verified of like, you know, her how bad her treatment was. So yeah. um, one of the slaves she had was so scared of punishment that he actually threw himself out of a third-story window, choosing to kill himself rather than be subjected to the torture that um she would have put him through wow uh and you can actually the third story window it was cemented shut and you could still see it cemented shut if you go dang and visit it and yeah which that's crazy cemented cemented shut shut. they're like she's like nope not again never again never again (laughs) um and then there also was a report of a 12 year old a slave girl named Leah, uh, she was brushing Madame LaLaurie's hair and she pulled a little too hard and LaLaurie flew into a rage, whipped and like whipped her like really, really bad. Um, and so she actually climbed out onto the roof and leapt to her death. Oh my God. Yeah. Poor baby. I know. And uh, later it was said that witnesses saw LaLaurie burying the girl's corpse and police Hey, were- wishes. I wishes. Um, And police uh, gave her a $300 fine and made her sell nine of her slaves. Wow. Yeah, but, and then she ended up buying them back. Sell, I was going to say. They made her sell them. So they made her get profit off of them. Exactly. And she ended up buying them back later anyway. And they looked the other way. Dicks. Mm -hmm. The justice system back there. Really killing it. (laughs) Hashtag killing it. Jesus. Um, so, anyways, uh, that brings me forward to when people finally, like, really saw the true extent of yeah. how monstrous this woman was. So, there was a fire on April 10th of 19... Not 19. <laughs> that's way... That's, like, a hundred years later. They were vampires. <laughs> I forgot to mention. <laughs> exactly. They are immortal. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> April 10th, 18... 34. Um, so a fire, you know, started in this mansion in the French Quarter. And so all the neighbors rushed out. They were trying to help. They were, like, pouring water on the flames, trying to help the family evacuate. Yeah. You know, uh, but they noticed that the lady at the house, Lori, just seemed to be alone. There was nobody really there. Um, and a mansion that didn't have slaves wasn't normal. So they were, like... Okay, well, where are, where's all the people that are supposed to be in this house? So they went, like, in, they went searching in the house for, yeah, for the slaves, and they found, um, the 70-year-old woman, the cook, they found her chained to the stove by her ankle, and she told them, like, she ended up later confessing that she's the one who set the fire. Yeah, uh, because she was trying to commit suicide because she was and, uh, yeah, so, the only way she, she was had. so afraid of being taken to the uppermost room, like to the attic, where, like, basically, if you were a slave and you got taken to the attic, you didn't come back. Oh wow! Yeah. So and she was so afraid of that that she preferred to set herself on fire. That's crazy. And kill herself because she didn't want that. So, um, dude, death by fire is fucking horrible. I uh, cannot. I could. I'd rather drown. And I mean, I don't oh. want to drown, but I'd rather drown. So gross. Ugh, I don't like it. Um, because, yeah, so she basically, she told them that anyone who had ever been taken there never came back. So, the, you know, the people who came to, you know, help try and put the, the fire out in the house, they were all, like, looking through the house trying to find find everybody. Yeah. Um, And she, like, 
wouldn't give them the keys to like unlock any like unlock anything and um, yeah because usually those houses like every door had a different key mm-hmm. but, yeah, but then she, there was like a skeleton key like the movie exactly so but she refused to give them the keys so they ended up having to break down the doors to the to the slaves quarters yeah and they found uh seven slaves more or less horribly muti- mutilated um so sen- that's i can't see speak words to I couldn't say. speak words during my story either. It's all good. <laughs> Suspended by the neck with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. Um and they and they they were still alive. They claimed wow. that they'd been there for months. So these are just the ones that oh I found that were God. alive. Like um so other eyewitnesses claimed that there were um what is wrong with this woman? Right? Yeah. It's horrible. So other witnesses say that uh, the slaves were also, like, you know, in addition to all the things I said, um, that they were, like, bloodied within an inch of their lives. Their eyes had been gouged out. Their skin was flayed. Um, some of them even, uh, I think they found one of one slave woman who had excrement. So shit. Yeah. Like, anything that was animal um, shit. Like, in her mouth and her mouth sewn shut. Wow. Yeah, this woman was wow. evil. Um uh, it was there was a report that claimed that there was one woman's bones who had been broken and reset to make her look like a crab, essentially. Like Yeah. Yeah. Um and another one was uh I think it had like her arms and like legs cut off and one was like had her bones broken so that she would fit into a cage the size that was supposed to be for like a dog. Wow. Yeah. Um, there was uh, ones that had their intestines wrapped around their waists like a belt. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was reading this. I was like, this is some horrifying shit. This is like the horror movie episode. Which is why they used her as a character in American Horror Story. For sure. Coven. Yeah. This Kathy, bitch is Kathy Bates killed gnarly. it. Though. Hashtag killing it. <laughs> Kathy Bates. Um, there was also one who um, had her skin peeled off in a circular pattern, uh, making her resemble a human centipede. Yeah, no, like some just twisted ass shit. Um, and oh, also the one who was in the cage, uh-huh. like had her bones broken as. And I think in addition to the one who had had her um, arms and legs missing, they were still alive when they found them. Wow. Yeah. Um, there were also people who were found that had, like, holes in their skulls and wooden spoons near them, like it had been used to, like, stir their yeah. their brains. Um, yeah, there's just some, like... Oh, there was a... Uh, they said that there was one who had this, like, iron collar that essentially had, like, inward spikes so it's like you some either, saw shit yeah you either like like every time you take a breath it basically you're Pokes killing yourself you. with the spike so you either have to hold your breath and die because you can't breathe or take a breath and be have those spikes impaled in your neck like some torture shit like that's crazy yeah um it's yeah they but the they've said that like so even as like horrifying as what I said like she did to like the female slaves they said that like with the male slaves that she was even worse like um that she hated basically the male slaves like way more than like the female ones um I also found a bunch of dead slave bodies in the room with the ones that were still you know alive um there were some people who said that they saw, like, a fingernail ripped off, a genital sliced away. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, but uh, most of the men were dead, uh, but the ones that were that they did find alive, they, like, begged them to, like, kill them and put them out of their misery. Like, that's how bad that's it had sad. gotten. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they're basically... 
there were reports that there was only a handful of bodies, but they think that she might have had like a hundred, like upward of like a hundred victims wow. over the course of yeah her life. Yeah. Um. But. Um. Sorry, guys. My computer sucks, <laughs> and it jumped to the bottom of my notes like a dick. <laughs> Maybe if I sing This is our intermission. Yeah. Maybe if I sing long enough, I'll find it. Okay. So, after that, she became known as the Savage Mistress of New Orleans. Um, And then after the slaves had been released from the burning building, um, like a mob of townspeople basically ransacked the home and smashed out all the windows (laughs) and... Uh, like took down the doors and everything basically tried to make it so that there was nothing left standing in the house because they're so mad at yeah. like what they found there and this is coming from racist ass people yeah. <laughs> like back then they're like oh no no we're racist but that's fucked but up that's fucked up yeah like um uh but yeah so but after the dust settled um delphine and her driver were missing so they had escaped this whole thing of course um and it was said that they fled to Paris. However, there's no word of her ever making it there. Um, her daughter said that she received letters from her, but no one ever saw the letters. Like, yeah, it's like some shady ass shit. Um, and then it was said that in like the 1930s, that an old cracked copper plate was found in New Orleans in a in the St. Louis cemetery, uh, and it said it had the name Lalaurie. Comma, Madame Delphine McCarty, uh, Lori's yeah. maiden name, um, said the inscription on the plaque was in French, and it claimed that Lori had died in Paris on December seventh, eighteen forty-two. Mm-hmm. However, the mystery remains alive as other records located in Paris claim that she died in eighteen forty-nine. Huh. So yeah, so just despite you know the plaque and the records it's widely believed that she did make it to paris came back to new orleans under a new name and continued her reign of terror um but to this day the body has never been found Hmm. um some fun facts that i found out about this though which that's you know there's not really any sort of a happy ending to that. Like she, I never, mean, there's no happy ending to serial killer these, stories. But like, you know, she was never brought to justice. She was never right. Really, like, you know, in American Horror Story, it was said that you know, uh, a voodoo curse was put on her to keep her alive, and she was buried alive, and then she came back. But hashtag spoiler alert for season. Dang girl. What is it? Season two? No, Coven was season two. I don't know. I, I don't watch it. It was one of them. <laughs> um, but so, anyways. Fun fact, in April of 2007, actor Nicolas Cage bought the house uh, through the Hancock Park Real Estate Company for $3.45 million, and it said uh, that it was arranged so that his name wouldn't show up on them, but it Uh was him that bought it. Yeah. Uh, But then it uh, went up again for auction in 2009 as a result of a bank foreclosure and purchased again by a different corporation like after that but yeah Nicolas Cage owned that house for a little while (laughs) that crazy fool um you know what I don't get about your story what I mean not that I don't get it about your story but just in general like like with my chick she had a motive she wanted those fuckers social security checks like her main gig was stealing money yeah exactly murder was just like a symptom of that. Yeah. So, like, she definitely had a motive. Yeah. What the fuck was your chick's problem? She was fucking evil. That is crazy. That is literally... That... That's, And like yet, there's, there was no female serial killers. No, of course not. Um, but, yeah, so there's a lot of rumors that that house is haunted. I bet. And or cursed. Um, I bet. Yeah, so there's people that claim that they see and hear tortured slaves... Um, shrieks, moans, all that stuff. Like, so, like, the first... It's, like, sc- that would be scary, but it's also, like, sad that their souls are, like, 
yeah trapped there because they're so angry exactly like this says that so the first owner like following it yeah burning down or whatever and then being rebuilt um only stayed there for like three months because he couldn't handle it yeah like he's like nope um and then it was eventually turned into a girl's high school um and yeah right and then later a conservatory of music and fashionable dancing school uh it says though that the oh excuse me that a local newspaper printed an accusation against one of the teachers there claiming improprieties with the female students just before a grand social event and was uh that was to take place at the school and students and guests shunned the place and the school closed the following day so wow yeah uh, and then it later became the residence of Jules Virginie. Virginie? Virginie? Virginie. Jules Virginie. I cannot pronounce your last name. Uh, <laughs> Just Jules V. Right? Uh, was an, uh, and they were an eccentric, wealthy recluse who lived in the house secretly um, until he died in 1892. He was found dead on a tattered cot in the mansion, apparently living in filth while hidden away in the surrounding rooms was a collection of antiques and treasure. So there were bags of money found stashed throughout the house with, you know, more rumored to be like undiscovered. Yet he was living in one room in his own filth. Weird. You know, that's that's just crazy shit. That's weird. Um, And then uh, it was finally converted into a cheap or part the ruler. Sorry, it was in oh my god. It was finally converted into a cheap apartment building. Residents complained of ghostly encounters, many being violent and terrifying. Uh, one resident was attacked by a naked black man in chains. That was quote unquote. Uh, who then vanished into thin air. Others claimed that animals, um, to have animals butchered in the house. Children were being attacked by a phantom with a whip. Uh, strange figures appeared wrapped in shrouds. Um, a young mother was even terrified to find a woman in elegant evening clothes bending over her sleeping infant. Um, and of course, there were. Strange... I'd be like, sweet built in babysitter. I'm <laughs> just kidding. That's so wrong. <laughs> um, and there was like screams and groans and cries throughout the house. Like, yeah, all the well, time. All the time. Um, so eventually, the residents had enough and they deserted the house again so basically they were never able to really keep tenants like um there was a a furniture store that opened there um but uh they basically were said that they were plagued by invisible vandals Mm -hmm. so the owner suspected vandals when all of his merchandise was found ruined on several occasions covered in some sort of dark stinking liquid you finally waited one night with a shotgun hoping that the vandals would come back when the morning came the furniture was all ruined again even though no one human anyway had entered the building so mm-hmm. he had been out there with a shotgun all night oh like yeah just waiting waiting nobody came and yet all of this shit was result. still ruined yeah um and then it said that the house uh is an apartment building again now um and during renovations the owners discovered even more bodies that had been thrown in a mass grave underneath the the house yeah um and that uh concludes the story of Delphi and (laughs) LaLaurie fucking crazy whore Boo. You whore. You whore. What a horrible person. She was... Emphasis on the whore. Horrible. And you... I like, was, yeah. how can you... How... Like, ugh. But, like, how? I just can't with people. This is right? why animals rule and homo sapiens drool. Yes. <laughs> I like how your messy butt is bouncing with such conviction at your words. Yeah, take that. Did you say my man bun? No. <laughs> I've got a man bun, guys. Did I say man bun? I don't know. No, I think I said messy bun. Oh. <laughs> you had me wondering. I'm like, wait, did I? <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So. Fucking lady killers. Lady killers. With lady balls of steel. Fucking big old lady balls. Of steel. 
So basically, that's just saying, don't fuck with us, ladies. Right? We're crazy. Okay? And we're bosses. <laughs> <laughs> we're lady bosses? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> sure. I mean, <laughs> jokes aside, obviously, we're not like those assholes that we just talked about. <laughs> They're evil. Yeah. Um. But also... <laughs> I'm like, this is such an awkward episode to end because it's like ending on such a weird... How a weird emotional roller coaster, you know? I feel like we should have prepared like a would you rather or something to like end it off on a, a good note. But how do you would you rather serial killers? That would kind of fucked up. All of those would be fucked up. Would None you of those rather, would be funny. Yeah, they, they would all be fucked up. I had a fucked up <laughs> one in my head just now. But yeah. Anyways, so that's our podcast. <laughs> Please don't judge us based on just this one episode. <laughs> Stick with it. We promise we'll be better. Um, next week is going to be our mini episode. So it's going to be Would You Rather... And I believe it's Supernatural Ghost Edition. Is that what we just said? Mm-hmm. Cool. And then after that, Halloween, bitches. Halloween. I think, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that's think, it. I don't know. Amber doesn't do math very well. <laughs> I know. I can't It's math. a thing. Um, is, which is really bad considering I do accounts payable and receivable and payroll. <laughs> math is kind of a... Importante. Importante. <laughs> Un poquito. Just a, just a <laughs> scotch. Just a little tiny bit. <laughs> yeah. So you want to go make some pie? Oh, I definitely want to make some pie. <laughs>